The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. to set you free. Good afternoon, everybody listening and watching. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk here on the planet. Good to have you with us uh, listening. Those of you watching on Periscope, hello. Uh, Welcome or welcome back. Got a great show in store today. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the effects coming once we start to get beyond this COVID-19, especially to businesses, many of the small businesses out there that have been hit. uh, Despite uh, some of these bailouts like PPP and other loans, PPP that many they say won't have to pay back if they meet uh, the proper criteria, uh, and, and other loans out there that they will have to pay back at a very low interest rate. That may not save all businesses. Stick around. We're going to talk uh, more uh, with that uh, with a bankruptcy attorney, attorney Todd Duffy, who I know very well. Why? Well, you'll hear that a little bit later. But right now, we're going to do a little thing we like to start the show off with called Ripped. From the headlines, take a listen. Sadly, more than 1 million people in the United States have been infected by the coronavirus as of today. That is a mark that comes as some states are beginning to ease those lockdowns. Here in the United States, we've recorded more than 56,000 deaths due to COVID-19. That's according to a tally from NBC News. Worldwide, over 3 million people have been sickened. More than 212,000 have died. Now, some parts of the United States have shown indications of a leveling off of new cases and deaths. That's always good news, obviously. That has in turn sparked greater calls, particularly from supporters of Trump and his administration, to push for governors to begin reopening stores and public places. But healthcare professionals warn that coronavirus cases could easily spike again if proper social distancing is not maintained. President Trump said yesterday that the effort to expand testing is being done with the private sector to, quote, help local governments get this horrible plague over with and over with fast. We're also finding out that the virus may live in the air longer than we thought. These are studies that came out in the past 48 hours. So we're just learning. There's a lot that we don't know about this yet. And uh, certainly, if you just look at New Zealand, well, they did shelter in place. They really did a major lockdown. That worked for them. Uh, You're not going to eradicate this, but get it to a manageable level. Um, And then uh, in in, uh, Sweden, uh, they're at uh, herd immunity. 70% of their population has had it, uh, although thousands have died, a very small population. But think about this. Sweden, for example. So a lot of people say, let's just go out there. Darwin, right? You know, survival of the fittest. We have a very different culture than Sweden. Um, In Sweden, they exercise more, they ride bikes more, they walk more, they smoke less, they eat a lot more fish uh, than we do in our society. They also, uh, you know, they eat healthier, they're thinner, uh, they're a smaller society, and and they just even have, unless you have a a, a Swedish, uh, you know, background, 
you, you don't have, or is it Norway? Am I confusing Norway with Sweden? I should run for office, right? Uh, but but when you when you look at the background of some of these, you know, countries. Um, genetically, they're very different than many of us here in the United States unless we come from that background. So you can't just say, hey, look, they did this or they did that. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. We're seeing that with this virus COVID-19. Let's rip another. U.S. intelligence agencies issued warnings about the novel coronavirus in more than a dozen classified briefings prepared for President Trump. And listen to this, folks, in January and February. Now, these are months which he continued to downplay the threat. This is according to not just current U.S. officials, but former U.S. officials as well. The repeated warnings were conveyed in issues of the president's daily brief. It's a sensitive report produced before dawn each day. It's designed to call the president's attention to the most significant global developments and security threats. Now, for weeks, the PDP, as the report is known, traced the viruses spread around the globe, made clear that China was suppressing information about the contagion's transmissibility and lethal toll, and raised the prospect of dire political and economic consequences. But the alarms appear to have failed to register with the president, who routinely skips reading the PDP, by the way, and has at times shown little patience for even the oral summary he takes two or three times per week, not daily, according to officials. And of course, they've all spoken on condition of anonymity uh, because the material is classified. Let's rip another. A Federal Reserve program expected to begin within weeks will provide hundreds of billions in emergency aid to large American corporations without requiring them to save jobs or limit payments to executives and shareholders. Now, under the program, the central bank will buy up to $500 billion in bonds issued by large companies. The companies will use the influx of cash as a financial lifeline, but are required to pay it back and with interest. Unlike other portions of the Relief for American Business, however, this aid will be exempt from rules passed by Congress requiring recipients to limit dividends, executive compensation, stock buybacks. It does not direct the companies to maintain certain employment levels either. Critics say the program could allow large companies that take the federal help, federal help, aren't we paying the federal dime? Yeah to reward shareholders and executives without saving any jobs. The program was sent up jointly by the Federal Reserve and the Department of Treasury. Uh, Esser Prasad, a former official at the International Monetary Fund, also an economist at Cornell University, said, quote, I am struck that the administration is relying on the goodwill of the companies receiving this assistance. A few months down the road, after the government purchases its debt, the company can turn around and issue a bunch of dividends to shareholders or fire its workers, and there's no clear path to get it back. Let's rip another. Speaking of the Treasury, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, told CNBC today that the Small Business Administration, the SBA, would undertake a full review of any loan that exceeds $2 million under the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP. I think it's a day late and more than uh, a couple of million short there, don't you folks? I mean, there are small companies out there that heard the LA Lakers got money, gave it back. Shake Shack got money, uh, gave it back. A sushi chain uh, got money. Are they giving that back? We're looking into it. The big picture, his announcement comes after large corporations and organizations like Shake Shack and the LA Lakers that I just mentioned, both returned their loans, by the way, have come under fire for receiving cash from the coronavirus stimulus program. One, they should have never applied. Two, they should never got the money. Three, we know they only got it back because it became... Uh, mainstream media that everybody seems to hate, uh, the real news that they had it. And once they were caught having it, 
Then they gave it back. Uh, the state of play on this, the government has set up guardrails for who should and should not pl- apply as the PPP opened its second round of applications this week. As a small business owner, I am a Wells Fargo customer. I was passed over the first round. It looks like I'm being passed over the second round, and I'm going to rethink who I bank with when this is all said and done. And I think a lot of business owners or even just people uh, with personal accounts are uh, rethinking who they're banking with and maybe go to some of those smaller banks or credit unions uh, in the future. We'll see. Let's rip another. Addressing the coronavirus without paying attention to climate change and biodiversity crisis would be a mistake, given the ways in which all three are interrelated. An expert in wildlife conservation told this to Axios on HBO. Now, why does this matter? Well, if we fail to recognize the connection, we're likely to see more difficult to tackle diseases jump from animals to humans. Now, this is what Wildlife Conservation Society's Joe Walston said in an interview. We already know that we have tigers with coronavirus, two cats, and today a pug. And now they're talking about social distancing from your pets because they can catch the virus from us. Well, hello, folks. If the animals can catch a virus that we carry from them, if it's, it's transmissible between a human and an animal, wouldn't an animal then, ergo, be able to transfer, if not this virus, maybe this virus, or another type of virus for them to us? This started with a bat to a human. In context, much attention is focused on so-called wet markets in China. Lots of wild animals are held closely together, sold to humans for consumption. Although diseases can spread from animals to humans in other settings, um, he said, Walston, the chances are greatly increased when animals are taken out of their natural habitats and put under stress and in close proximity to other animals, like bats and a Chinese market in Wuhan. Closing such markets would make it much harder for viruses like SARS-CoV-2, which caused COVID-19, to jump from animals to humans. The big picture on this, more than a billion people each year become sick from diseases related to animals. Many of the most recent serious new diseases diseases did come from animals. Removing animals from their environments disrupts their native ecosystems. It harms biodiversity. It exacerbates climate change. And when you remove elephants from the forest of Central Africa, you've removed the major seed disperser and the major gardener of that system. And what happens? Forests start to degrade. Between the lines on this, Walston threw cold water on the theory that the virus was created in a lab or even that a research lab played a role in its spread. He said, quote, before it got from that bat into humans, there was absolutely no evidence that it came into any laboratory. By the way, DNA has proved that it came from that bat. Walston suggested that this dangerous moment for humanity could be a turning point in all three crises if we heed the warning. Quote, it actually, sadly, takes people to die on people's doorsteps, for people to die in people's families, for that wake-up call to happen, which is always inevitably later than it should be. But I believe that the world is realizing now that these are environmental problems, that they are going to happen again unless we take action. Bottom line, the cycle could easily repeat and intensify if we fail to take appropriate action. Walston said, quote, we have the complete power to be able to destroy practically everything. I think we're seeing that. Look at what's happening with us staying indoors. Not as polluted, animals coming out of the woodwork. Fascinating, isn't it? I'm Leslie Marshall. That's our first half half of Rip from the Headlines. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more Rip from the Headlines after this. Don't go away. And more show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall. And we'll be sure to share your tweets.
back. Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. I hope you were all being safe and uh, sheltering in place. But you know what? Some people aren't. Some people are angry about it. And uh, some states are starting to make changes or make very irresponsible comments. Uh, Welcome or welcome back. Let's continue with what's ripped from the headlines on the other side of this break. Uh, One example is the chairwoman of the Arizona Republican Party, who's encouraging people who are planning to protest stay-at-home orders imposed amid the coronavirus pandemic to dress like healthcare workers. Let me finish before I go on my little rampage here. Recently, several healthcare workers around the country have worn their scrubs and medical gear to counter protest against people calling for states to reopen the urgings of medical experts. Now, Dr. Kelly Ward, who was a former state senator and primary care physician herself, tweeted that people participating in protests to end the government imposed closures of regular businesses should wear scrubs and masks. Quote, planning planning protests to Hashtag reopen America. Everyone wears scrubs and masks. The media doesn't care if you are really in healthcare or not. It's the message that matters, she wrote. Now, her comments came a few days after she questioned the authenticity of a small group of healthcare workers in Colorado who counter protested against people calling for the state to reopen. She said, quote, even if these spontaneously appearing people at protest against government overreach sporting the same outfits, postures and facial expressions are involved in healthcare, when they appeared at rallies, they were actors playing parts, propaganda, hashtag propaganda, hashtag fake outrage. And that's what she tweeted last week. Now, the Democratic Party in Arizona slammed her as they should and everyone should in that tweet as an attempt to mock healthcare professionals. Matt Grodsky, Arizona Democratic Party spokesman, said in a statement, quote, if anyone's status as a healthcare professional should be questioned, it's Dr. Kelly Wartz. Considering her unwillingness to promote the advice of health experts, irresponsible, shameful tweets like this do nothing to help people afflicted with the virus or the healthcare heroes who are working to save lives. To to slow the spread of coronavirus, nearly every state implemented stay-at-home orders, closing non-essential businesses. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, a Republican, put a stay-at-home order in place until April 30th, flooding social distancing guidelines. Now, protests have popped out against stay-at-home orders at state capitals across the country, of course, in Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Texas, parts of other areas as well. Uh, Western New York, uh, we've also seen some Minnesota. Uh, CNN spoke with uh, Lauren Leander, an ICU nurse, who was one of the people who silently stood in scrubs and counter-protested at the state capitol where people gathered to urge Ducey to reopen Arizona. She's a Banner Health nurse of five years, said if given the opportunity, she would walk ward through the ICU at her hospital to the bedside of some of her coronavirus patients to see firsthand the impacts of the virus. She said, quote, I wish she could be in my shoes for a day. I'd have her put on a pair of scrubs and walk with me. In North Carolina, one of the leaders of the anti-shelter at home protests, oh, government can't tell me what to do, has contracted coronavirus and is home ill with COVID-19. Here in Los Angeles, and I wrote about this, by the way, at foxnews.com. Check it out. Google it. uh, Go to Fox News Opinion. You can see it. I wrote about it last week. I'm writing today. Something will come out in the morning. What about, hmm, they'd have to do with somebody named Hillary Clinton. Take a watch and be waiting for that. But on my article, I also talked about this woman in, in Los Angeles who stood outside of Baskin Robbins, which, by the way, you can go to. I took my kids to Baskin Robbins about a week ago. There was nobody inside. We went in and got ice cream. We went outside and we sat on a park bench where nobody was around so we could lift our masks to eat the ice cream and get some sunshine, some vitamin D, some fresh air and a change of scenery from our home. 
So she's standing outside of Baskin Robbins and she quotes Patrick Henry's give me liberty or give me death. Now, I assure you that's not what Patrick Henry meant uh, by uh, that quote at the time. But you know what? Maybe she should get her wish. Give me liberty or give me death. You seriously want to die because you can't have a bloody Baskin Robbins ice cream cone? I mean, I like ice cream too, but seriously? Look, the people out there in, in Michigan especially where they actually have first responders stating it took five to seven minutes longer to get to the hospital because of these protests and the number of people in cars that were out there. There were people in scrubs who were trying to stop those cars. They were actually healthcare workers. It's been confirmed in various states like Michigan by the hospital that these people were there to stop, to stop the prevention, which many of these protests were doing, of patients getting to them, if not by ambulance, then by cars trying to get to the emergency room to, to get these people to the hospital to get the care that they need. By the way, not everybody going to hospitals is covid there are still people having heart attacks, still women having babies. My husband's an orthopedic surgeon. There are still people getting in car accidents, biking accidents, hiking accidents, and breaking bones. Old people who are home falling down and nobody can help them or catch them because they're alone who need help. There are people whose appendixes, appendixes are, are still rupturing. Uh, kidneys that get stones, gallbladder uh, that get uh, stones, people that get cancer, people that require surgery. COVID-19 is not the only thing that is bringing people to hospitals. Absolutely don't wear scrubs. You should not pretend to be a healthcare worker. If you want to be one, suit up and, and get on the front lines and help where it's desperately needed. Better yet, if you can't do that because you're not a healthcare professional, Go to work somewhere where you can provide extra masks and sew them and provide extra PPE for those healthcare workers. Let's rip another. And last and rip from the headlines, Vice President Mike Pence today uh, refusing uh, to lead by example and refusing to wear a mask during his visit to Minnesota's Mayo Clinic. It requires all staff patients and visitors to wear a face covering while at the medical center. And shame on Mayo Clinic, by the way. I don't care if he's the vice president. I don't care if he's Jesus. You gotta follow the rules. They should have said something to him. And shame on you, Mike Pence. Seriously, shame on you. You're a Christian? The Bible says that you are supposed to follow rules that are set forth by your government, by a hospital. The government, the Bible's clear on that. Read it, dude. Can't serve two masters, God and Trump. Uh, to, and visitors to wear a facial covering while at the medical center. In a since-deleted tweet, the Mayo Clinic called out the Veep. They should keep the tweet, saying it had informed him of the masking policy prior to his arrival. It didn't apparently stop Pence from visiting with staff, even a patient, without wearing it. By the way, he put the staff and the patient, not just himself and his family, at risk. Shame on him. That's what's ripped from the headlines back after <laughs> We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. Welcome to all of you listening and watching on Periscope. Hello. Hello, everybody in Twitter land. Happy Tuesday. I'm very happy to have with us today Todd Duffy. He's co-founder of the law firm Duffy Amadeo LLP. He attended law school at St. John's University Law School, uh, School of Law, and obtained his law degree in two and a half years. Smart guy. After law school, he clerked for Chief Judge Stephen D. Gerling of the Northern District of New York Bankruptcy Court. And after his clerkship, he was associated with several large Manhattan firms and participated in many of the largest and most complex bankruptcy cases in the last 20 years. Past chair of the Bankruptcy Committee of the New York County Lawyers Association, Todd was the chair of the Bankruptcy and Restructuring Group and a shareholder of Anderson, Kill, and Olick PC immediately prior to co-founding 
Duffy Amadeo, LLP. Now, in addition to his significant bankruptcy experience, he's represented both plaintiffs and defendants in state and federal court commercial litigation. He's litigated various non-bankruptcy issues in federal courts throughout the country and in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. More than a pleasure to have somebody with us that I want to talk about this issue. Uh, a brilliant mind, a great legal mind, a great attorney, and he also, am I supposed, can I mention our association? Would you like me to? Or would you I, rather me not? I think after that buildup, I think you almost have to. Yes. And he's also my cousin. He really is. He's my <laughs> cousin. And he's one of my lawyers. <laughs> and he's done a good job for me. <laughs> you don't get the discount I get, but folks. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll, uh, I, in, in the meantime, also, I want you during the breaks here to check out his website, DuffyAmadeo.com. That's D-U-F-F-Y-A-M-E-D-E-O. On Twitter, follow him at Todd E. Duffy, capital T-O-D-D, capital E-D-U-F-F-Y. And um, I also, uh, the reason I brought him on today is because so many business owners, I'm a small business owner, and many of you listening and viewing us today um, are business owners. And even though there's billions of dollars in coronavirus relief targeted at small businesses, it may not prevent what could be coming. And what could be coming down the road, the economic forecast is not bright because it shows many of these uh, small businesses can end up in bankruptcy court. And that's why I have my cousin, attorney Todd Duffy on today. Hi, Todd, thank you for joining us and being Hi, with Les. us. Um, Hi, I'm uh, glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Good to have you with us. Uh, now, let's talk about this. Even though there are those PPP loans, which a lot of people are, you know, could be a f completely forgivable, there are additional loans that are paid back with interest, very low interest. Uh, much of this money is reaching very large companies and even a small business businesses get it. It might not be enough for them to stay afloat. Uh, talk to us about uh, why, why it may not prevent many of them from ending up in bankruptcy court. Well, I think in order to really understand that, you need to start not with this crisis and the pandemic, but you really need to start with roughly 2009 with the Great Recession, because when Lehman filed its bankruptcy petition, the uh, the obviously the economy was not doing all that well. And since that time, Banks have, rather than having people file bankruptcy petitions, they've sort of kicked the can down the road. And so their options are now diminished because they've waited so long in, in, uh, uh, in the interim to either file or to deal with this stuff because the banks were really either willing to restructure their loans or their debt, or they were willing to just kind of look the other way if they've, defa if they've defaulted on various covenants. Okay. So- uh, businesses filing under Chapter 11 of the federal bankruptcy uh, law, we've already seen a rise last month in March, right? That's um, right. You know, as an attorney who works with these type of struggling companies, um, is that uptick, that sharp rise in March, a sign that not just more owners are filing, filing and contemplating, but perhaps that this is a foreshadowing of what's to come, that more owners will be contemplating the possibility of bankruptcy going forward? Um, I, I would say I, I hope so, but it sounds self-centered. I, I think I, I mean it in a couple of different ways. There's a perception out there that filing a bankruptcy is somehow some form of a failure. And I'd love the idea for people to understand that bankruptcy is really more of a business tool. And in, an, in a completely unpreventable situation like this pandemic, um, it's an option that really kind of levels the playing field rather than um, takes advantage of a situation. Um, so I think that the idea um, 
Congress did a couple of different things. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was small businesses, because the PPP is targeted at small businesses. The problem is there have been problems with that uh, with that program. And so a lot of the money is not exactly getting to the um, the small businesses and they're not getting to them timely. And so what Congress did on top of authorizing the PPP was um, enabling uh, larger, smaller businesses, and I'll explain that in a minute, um, to file a special type of small business Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So ordinarily, you can, if you have an aggregate of about $2.3 million in both secured and unsecured debt, secured debt is when you have collateral associated with it, like a mortgage or something, for example, um, and you're a small business, you can file a small business bankruptcy. If Congress raised that threshold to 7.5 million for the next year. And so it would now has a wider uh, encompassing, all encompassing uh, kind of gap in the bankruptcies. So the small business bankruptcy as formulated by Congress now allows, allows people to have what's um, known as disposable, or allows the small business to have what's known as disposable income. Every business has overhead. And you said you're a small business owner. In fact, I'm a small business owner. Whenever we all have overhead and anything that you make over and above your overhead, while that would be called profits, is called disposable income on, in the bankruptcy code. If a business has small has disposable income and it dedicates that disposable income to um, to a plan that would pay its creditors all of that disposable income for five years, then you would be entitled to have a, a complete discharge of your uh, of your bank or of all your debts, and you would be entitled. You would be uh, you would have a, a basically a resolution with all of your creditors. Now, if you were doing this under the regular bankruptcy structure, you would be forced to have what would be known as an impaired accepting class, one class that's getting paid less than its full debt that would accept your plan. And you would have to pay it in order of what's known as priority. There's called something called the absolute priority rule. You have to pay secure creditors first, then you have to pay your taxes, then you have to pay uh, unsecured creditors. And those priorities are laid out in the bankruptcy code. In, um, in a small business case, you don't have to have that un unimpaired class. Uh, you're, I'm sorry, you don't have to have that impaired class, which means that you over and above everybody's objections to your plans, you can still have that plan approved by a bankruptcy court, dedicate your disposable income, have it all distributed, and then three to five years later, you're done and you get your fresh start, which is exactly what the bankruptcy code is hoping. That's interesting because, um, you know, there are companies out there that are forced to close or, or even curtail their business due to the government attempts to stop this spread of the virus. Uh, their debts are mounting. Uh, their prospects to return to normal operations are uh, uncertain at best. Um, even people who receive emergency loans and grants aren't sure that help is going to be enough. So this is interesting because bankruptcy doesn't have to be a dirty word. It's just how you file and where you file. And that's where somebody like you comes in who can help guide a small business owner through these types of waters. Well, the one thing I would also want to mention was when most small businesses come to me, they say to me, how fast can you get me in and get me out? And the reason is because the majority, every small business, the, the bulk of their value comes from their goodwill. And what most small business owners are concerned about is that if they file for bankruptcy, that could actually 
really kind of lessen their goodwill, can reduce their goodwill with their vendors, could reduce their goodwill with their customers, could could leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. If you are in and out under the small business uh, under the small business rule, you can be in and out in 90 days. In which wow. case, not only can you be in and out in 90 days, but it would cost, I would say, probably a third of what it would cost under the regular Chapter 7 hurdles and, and requirements. So it would be more efficient, it will be um, uh, less time, and theoretically, your, uh, your goodwill re- would remain intact. So it is possible for people out there who are getting help from the government, even if that's not enough, or who don't and are trying to get help from the government and, and think that they're going to go south, uh, to be able to return uh, back to normal, uh, you know, in, in, you know, maybe just missed miss a quarter or two when you, you know, count, you know, these uh, COVID shelter in place days. Um, that's very good news for uh, small business owners who are listening and will be listening to this interview. What I really like about not only does this happen quickly, not only is it can it be done efficiently, but I what I really like about this is that they're not they have options. Small businesses now have multiple options that they can take advantage of. They're not just hoping that the PPP actually reaches them. Not they're not just hoping that they get their SBA loan. They could actually restructure their entire business, all you know, be in and out in 90 days, and with any luck at all, go on to really have a very profitable future after their fresh start. I had read that oh we got to take a break and we'll take a break and when we uh come back i have more questions for you uh todd duffy is uh, not just my cousin he is one of my lawyers but one of the reasons i wanted him on is i had read a lot of small businesses might end up filing bankruptcy my cousin said that's really not necessarily a bad thing and i want to help small business owners i'm one he's one uh so we have todd duffy co-founder of the law firm duffy amadeo llp on the program we're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll continue with him in the meantime Check out his website, DuffyAmadeo.com, D-U-F-F-Y-A-M-E-D-E-O.com. On Twitter, follow him there, at Todd E. Duffy. Just don't hassle him about his cousin, Leslie Marshall. At Todd E. Duffy, capital T-O-D-D-E-D-U-F-F-Y. We'll be back with him and more about small businesses and the potential future of uh, more filing bankruptcy. We saw that in March. Is it a foreshadowing of the future? It doesn't have to be a bad thing. You heard what Todd said. We'll hear more right after this. Don't go away. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back with us is Todd Duffy, co-founder of the law firm Duffy Amadeo LLP. And uh, we are talking with him about uh, a flood of businesses um, in the coming months might file bankruptcy and how that may not be uh, a bad thing. Uh, Welcome or welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Uh, Todd, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I hope to see him, Mark, if you can put him up so I can see him. (laughs) Thank you, Leslie. I'm still here. Okay. Oh, good. I can see you once again. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I had read somewhere that the most vulnerable companies right now are restaurants, thousands of them, uh, not just restaurants, restaurants and retailers. Um, So a couple of things. One, is that true? And two, some people are perplexed by that because 
restaurants are still doing many of them online, uh, not online, uh, curbside delivery or, you know, delivery of food, curbside pickup, people taking food to go. And with retailers, a lot of people are still shopping uh, online, uh, which is why we can't get our Amazon fresh fast uh, anymore or at all in some areas. Uh, so is it is it true those are the two areas hardest hit? And some people are wondering, you know, why is that? Because there are many of them still operating. So the answer is yes. And uh, let's take let's take each uh, industry separately. First, let's start with, um, why don't we start with retail? So when most people have seen retail declining over the last, I would say five to 10 years, the reason for that is that retail is often thought of as brick and mortar. So you've got Best Buy, you've got Kohl's, you've got Macy's, you've got um, Neiman Marcus, who is talking about either has, I don't know if they have yet, but their, their uh, bankruptcy petition is imminent. Um, and so the reason is because they have, uh, well, in the case of Neiman Marcus, my understanding is, and it's basically what I've read through um, various bankruptcy stuff, but um, they were heavily leveraged. And um, they, uh, with this pandemic, people just aren't going to the stores anymore. It's the brick and mortar stores that are being kind of overcome and overwhelmed by places like Amazon, which is one of the things that you mentioned. Um, and that most people, since they like to, since the brick and mortar probably equals their online presence, um, they still have to support that brick and mortar aspect of their business. And that's dragging down any kind of an online presence that they might have fiscally. Um, with respect to restaurants, restaurants are more than just um, making money off just the food, right? They've got waiters and waitresses, the whole, they're, they're not selling as much alcohol when they're delivering and alcohol in a restaurant apparently is, you know, the highest markup of all restaurants. Um, and uh, they have employees that they have to keep happy in in New York, especially where I am. Most of the restaurants, you know, they're they have a very difficult time surviving. Not all restaurants are doing the delivery and a lot of them are. But for the one I think that for the ones that are, they're probably able to break even. Um, but for those that aren't, they're having a particularly challenging time and it's extremely difficult. When we talk about returning to normal, and you had talked about, hey, 90 days in and out if some of these mm -hmm. companies file bankruptcy, normal won't be normal for some time because even when we hear about sections of states opening or when we are fully open, uh, I know that here in California, I think in New York, uh, your governor and my governor, uh, Cuomo and Newsom, are like-minded uh, with still having social distancing uh, rules uh, applying and in place. So people will not only be wearing masks, but you're going to be required at many restaurants. I know uh, in San Francisco, Northern California, there's a delay, but if they open, uh, they're going to require many restaurants to space tables six feet apart for social distancing. Right. And in some cities like New York that are more dense uh, and you only have eight tables, uh, you're cutting, you're going to be cutting in half or 60 to 65% of your business when you return to quote normal, because we're not really going to be normal for some time. Right. And we certainly don't know if there's going to be I hope not, a second wave uh, of COVID-19. Right. But even putting that aside, which is also always a, an extreme danger, but um, even putting that aside, if you've only, if, let's say you have to cut your tables by a third or more in, the, in that space, speaking as a restaurant, then you can only, there's a limit to how much money you can actually earn. And maybe, maybe you can cover your overhead, maybe you can't, but you still have employees to pay. You still have uh, you still want to make a living, a, a profit, so that you can pay your own bills. In most small businesses, the line between an owner and the business itself is a very fine line. 
And so that's going to not only affect the business, but it's going to affect them personally. And a lot of these people who own these small businesses, they have personal guarantees because they leased equipment, because they took loans out, because they did all these types of things to keep uh, it, keep their business going so that um, they could continue to pay employees and continue to make a living. And then once the pandemic hit, they could no longer do that. And we're seeing it's not just small companies. You mentioned Neiman Marcus, uh, who is, uh, could be soon filing for bankruptcy protection. J.C. Penney, True Religion, jeans that I like, uh, filed for Chapter 11. They're located and based here in Los Angeles. Um, I've also read from different bankruptcy attorneys um, that the there are many companies, but especially smaller companies, um, that have a lot of anxiety because there is no reliable visibility into when business operations will be able to resume pre-COVID-19 normalcy, uh, as we just touched upon. What do you do when a business owner comes to you just seeking information, isn't ready to pull the trigger, if you will, uh, with regard yeah. to bank bankruptcy filing, but has these anxieties? What do you tell them? What do you tell the business owners right now who are watching, who are listening, who do share these anxieties? So um, part of being a lawyer is being a counselor. And uh, every time someone comes to my office and, and over the last 20 years, they've come often seeking that kind of initial consultation. And sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. They often call again. But when they do, really, they're looking to get when debtors are in a situation like this, they actually get uh, into a mindset of just day to day. I want to make it through this day. I want to make it through the end of the week. They're not thinking long term. My job is to help them not only think day to day, but also think long term. And so what I'm trying to do in, when I, in those situations is to um, give them enough to get um, you know, a week or two and ask them to give me a call again. And then we keep in touch. And, and at some point, either they're ready or they're not ready, but I'd like to give them options. In February, there was a 20% decrease in March. Uh, filings for Chapter 11 rose 18%. Certainly more people will be coming to you. In the last 60 seconds here, uh, briefly, what do you want to leave our listeners and viewers with today? The, the fact is that bankruptcy is not in any way, shape, or form a failure, that um, it can be done efficiently. It can be done in the, with the right firm, and uh, I think our firm is the right firm. Um, it can be done inexpensively under the new law, and uh, it can be quite an advantage for anybody who is facing these kinds of problems and uh, through no fault of their own. Thank you. I'd love I to help. Thank, thank you, cousin. Uh, definitely helpful because the small business owners are hurting and uh, they need to hear from somebody smart and wonderful and compassionate like you. Thank you for being with us. Todd Duffy, my guest, co-founder of the law firm Duffy Amadeo LLP. The website, DuffyAmadeo.com, D-U-F-F-Y-A-M-E-D-O. On Twitter, follow him at Todd E. Duffy, capital T-O-D-D, capital E-D-U-F-F-Y. I'm Leslie Marshall signing off till Friday. Thank you, Todd.